Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. Today, Pastor Jim says you must defend your relationship with God. You will be challenged and people will try to expose the gaps in your faith as weakness. Let them. God knows what you will have to endure in your life and He promises to prepare you for it. When the pressures of this world test your faith, remember that God is there with you, defending you against unseen threats. Will you defend Him against those who deny His undeniable grace and mercy to all those who know Him? Well, let's join Pastor Jim in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2 as he continues his message, Guarding the Gospel in a Modern World. I was at a wedding. One of the guys who worked with me thought it was funny. He sat me next to the southeastern, I got to get my geography straight, the southeastern resident theologian of the Catholic Church. So we got into a little thing about John 6. And oh, he was so frustrated with me. Because at that point in time, I basically kind of had most of it memorized. And I kept talking about the inconsistencies of his hermeneutic. Now, nobody at the table knew what I was talking about. A hermeneutic is the art and science of biblical interpretation. And he's like, you're not a pastor. I go, no, I own a trucking company. And the guy who got married works for you. I go, yeah. He's like, I can't believe you know all this stuff. And so he's getting frustrated with me. And so he gets up and he leaves. And he was so mad at me. So was my wife for talking to him the whole night, not her. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he gets up and he leaves, and everybody's like, dude, man, you, you creamed that, cream that priest. I go, no, no, we were having a nice, intelligent conversation. He goes, no, he was mad, man, because everything he came at you with, you just were like, oh, no, that's this, and that's this, and you're, you're inconsistent in your theology of this and that and the other thing. And he was just like, I know, I know, but that's what we're taught. And I'm like, he's like confessing to me. Um, <laughs> And so we, we become people who understand these things, and we want to be people who are announcing the good news. And you know what? That may need to happen with a lot of people many times. That's okay. We also need to be ready to explain it to people over and over and over again. And then for a lot of people, they hear it a lot of times, and then sometimes it clicks. Sometimes it clicks quickly for people. Other times it takes a lot of time. First uh, Peter 3.15, very well-known verse. You've got to know this one. I'm going to read it twice. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Let's go slowly. But sanctify, some versions say, regard as holy the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense. We might say a reason to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, I try to remind myself about that verse when I think this. I, that's a verse that kind of runs through my mind when I talk with people about Jesus, that people won't ask me about my faith unless my hope is obvious. I want to just say that again. People will not ask me about my faith unless my hope is obvious. And so he ends it with meekness and fear. Some versions end it with gentleness and respect. And so we want to be not overbearing about it. We just almost, we would use our word almost casual about it. I mean, I can remember when I first, first people were first telling me about Jesus the first time I heard it. I'm like, these people talk like they know him. Guess what? 
They did. <laughs> they did. Verse 12 also, going back to 2 Timothy, tells us about the Apostle Paul's leadership, his preaching, his proclaiming and teaching the message of the grace of God. That's what he was in jail for. That's what he was in jail for. He knows that's why he has suffered a lot. It's almost like he's telling Timothy and he's telling us that with the call of Jesus Christ, there's going to be some suffering. Some people are going to make fun of you. You're going to hear them whisper behind your back, or they're going, to, they're going to be like, oh, he's one of those crazy Jesus people or something like that. Sometimes I've heard people say that. I go, thank you for the compliment. I really appreciate it. Now, here's another thing, and you may not want to hear this, but suffering really thins the herd. You say, did you just call us a herd of cattle? Kind of, yeah. Suffering thins the herd. Suffering makes it easy to see who the true followers of Jesus are and those who are not. Yet the Apostle Paul is not ashamed of his suffering, nor is he going to stop serving the Lord because of his suffering. He's going to press on till that head comes off. Literally. That's the only way they're going to shut that guy up. Okay, they're like, how can we shut this guy up? Disconnect his head from his lungs, right? <laughs> that, that'll shut him up. Well, not really, <laughs> right? <laughs> We're still talking about him today. So, so it didn't shut him up. He's not ashamed of it at all. So why won't he stop? Why won't he stop? I think a better question is why can't he stop? Why does he continue to do it all the way up to his last breath? Look at the end of verse 12. For I know whom I have believed. What is he saying? It's a personal thing to me. This is not just a bunch of theological stuff. That it, There is theology in it, but this is a personal thing to me. I personally know Jesus. And his job was to really, you look at the Gospels, and then what was Paul's main job and the other apostles? But Paul was just like, that dude is out there, man. He is so smart. And his job was to what? Unpack what it all means, to teach us what it all means. And he says, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. First, he says, I know God, and I know he is faithful. And for Paul, that's what made his suffering tolerable. And Timothy's God and our God is the same. And it's the same faith. And so he, Paul's telling us, guys, we can, you can do this. He's telling all of us. Secondly, he says, he is able to keep what I have committed to him. Now, theologians debate what he means here because he's not clear here. I think he means personal opinion. I think he means it's just his life. Like, he's like, I've committed my life to him, so I entrust him with my life. I think he's able to keep my life because I've already committed it to him, and I'm not afraid of I'm going to lose it. Like, they're gonna, okay, they may, they may separate my head from my body, but guess what? When Jesus returns, they're going to come back together. Somehow it's going to happen, and he's going to do it. And so, yes, he will be executed, but he won't be killed. That's, his, that's the, his thinking. I will be executed, but I won't be killed because Jesus Christ died on the cross in his place, and he knows that. He is confident where he will spend eternity, and no matter what Rome does, it doesn't matter. The Apostle Paul knows he will be raised from the dead. He's convinced and confident 
that God can keep the gospel going even after he is gone. And he has. He has. Now, do we see the gospel declining in America? Yes. Yes. Quickly, actually. Do we see a lot of apostasy in America? Some of you don't know what's apostasy. That is the leaving of the faith. Do we see a lot of that in the United States? Yes. But worldwide, the gospel continues to march on. Continues to march on. And when that day comes, the apostle is confident that God will reward his people for their faithfulness. Verse 13 and 14, we get another commandment. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. Some of your verses say sound teaching, which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, that good thing. Some of your versions say that good treasure. I like the version that says guard the good deposit, which was committed to you. And then again, you might want to underline this. Keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. So it was committed to you, and you can keep it because of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And so it's because the Holy Spirit dwells in you and I that we can keep that good deposit, that we can protect the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the pastoral epistles, again, First and Second Timothy and Titus, emphasize the need for pastors... And I would say, again, I, I, I think a lot of times we just think of a pastor as a guy in a pulpit, and we have to remember that, you know, if I did a men's retreat one time and had, all the, had a session with all the fathers, and I told them all to stand up, and I said, let me ordain you the pastor of your home, right? And then they, they were all like high-fiving each other and stuff like that. I'm like, you're the pastor of your home, man. That's it. Go, go do it, right? And go, therefore, and act like that. You know, in your office, maybe you're the only Christian that's there. Guess what? Guess who the pastor is? You. You. Your school. Your wherever you are. Maybe you're you're the only one that's there. And so pastors need to carefully teach sound words and a good thing. Need to really hold on to and protect what we would call the apostolic teaching. In order to do that, they need, he writes here, the experience of faith and love of Jesus Christ. And they need the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all gifts from God. That's all gifts from God. It's not a question of whether a Christian has those things. It's a question of whether a Christian wants to put those things to use or not. Words like hold fast and guard tell us there will be temptation from people and and ourself to stray from the word of God. So he's using those strong words. He's saying, listen, there's going to be a real temptation out there. Timothy, he's like saying, you're going to have to work hard at your teaching craft. Anybody who teaches the word of God, you got to work hard at it. You can't phone it in. The most dangerous thing that can ever happen to someone, and this is something I am very aware of, trust me, is someone who can get up and talk for 40 minutes, 50 minutes, 60 minutes to a group of people without an ounce of preparation. You got to be really, really careful about that. If you said to me, you know, hey, I want you to teach about this chapter in the Bible. And if it's one I've taught before, I could just say, well, you know, give me, give me an hour and I'll be ready. If you said to me, listen, I want you to hop in the car and I want you to talk to a bunch of men about being a good husband and a good father. I said, I'll just say to you, how long does it take to get there? And they'll say 10 minutes. I said, okay, give me a, a pen, a napkin, and I'm set. 
Four words on a napkin, that's all I need because I can yak forever. Some of you are like, we know, Pastor Jim. Okay, <laughs> right? But that's a very dangerous place to be, that you're not going to go into the pulpit or to, or to speak to people without being prepared because no preparation, I'm convinced of this. And, I, and there'll be people who say I'm wrong. If you know it's coming up, sometimes you're thrown into a situation where you, where you don't know it. But if you know it's coming up and you're not prepared, no Holy Spirit. No Holy Spirit. Unless he just wants to rescue the people in the seats from you. <laughs> that, might be, that might be true. Okay? And so he's got to work at his craft, and the Holy Spirit is always needed in the explanation of the biblical text. Listen to what they said about the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 10.10. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful. Some versions say strong, but his bodily presence is weak. Some versions say unimpressive, and his speech contemptible. Some versions say, and his speech is just nothing. Do you know that could have been written this morning about so many people's opinions of their pastors? Could have been written this morning. Why? Because today, presentation is more important than content. And that's not the biblical model. The biblical model is that content is far more important than presentation. So many churches work for hours on the show and work for nothing, really. The content is like, well, don't worry. As long as it's entertaining, the people will be fine with it. And he shows these wor- he cho- chooses these words here in this passage in 2 Timothy in these two verses, to show us how near and dear the clear and correct Bible teaching is. What did Jesus say? Put on a good show for my sheep. No, what did he say to Peter? Feed my sheep. Feed them. Don't entertain them. Feed them. Now, I'm not saying that it's helpful to be kind of engaging as a speaker or something like that or be able to, you know, hold people's attention. But then, you know, there's some, I know guys who, who can't hold people's attention very long, you know what they do? They preach for 20 minutes, right? Some of you are like, Jim, you, that's your introduction. What do you, <laughs> but you know, that's fine. Being a false teacher is easy and it requires little to no study. Being entertaining does what? It shifts the focus from Jesus to the entertainer, to the speaker. Notice I didn't say to the pastor. I don't consider those guys to be pastors. Entertainers, yes. Pastors, no. False teachers are not pastors. They're not doing what he says at the end of verse 13. They're not teaching the people in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Now, it's interesting, the word pattern in verse 13 can also be translated outline. So what is he saying? He's saying, Timothy, the Bible is the outline for the sermon, Timothy. That's the outline for the sermon. We have a saying in the ministry, the meaning of the passage is the meaning of the sermon. Now, there are sometimes various points within a passage. That's okay. You can do that. But basically, if you're really going to try to start out with something, the meaning of the text is the meaning of the sermon. The opposite is what most pastors do. It's easier. They use the Bible to support their own opinion. Like We call that springboard preaching. Read a verse and then dive into the pool of my own opinion. Or they just pick the, choose the stuff that makes people feel good and because they want to draw a crowd. 
Now, the word sound in verse 13 can be also translated healthy. The word of God makes the people of God what? Spiritually healthy. Once again, at the end of verse 13, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Timothy, he's saying to him, as a teacher of the word of God, you should reflect the love and the faith and the love of Jesus Christ to the people that you are teaching as best as you can. In verse 14, the word good could also be translated beautiful. And it's like he's saying, we must guard the word of God from those who will alter it. We must be very, very aware that there will, it's been all through the history of the church, that there will be people who will alter it. Now, people would say, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere, all right? Here's my only thoughts. This is totally opinion. You can say, Pastor Jim's opinion, good, reasonable, bogus. I don't care, okay, <laughs> right? But it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. I could see the Apostle Paul just cringing when he hears that, like, ah. And Jesus would be like, just stay there, Paul. I'm going to overturn the tables. <laughs> right? I'm flipping the tables in this place because this is not, that's what Jesus did. He flipped the tables in the temple because of how the people of God were being misled by the religious leaders, how they were misrepresenting God, trying to make a buck off, God, off poor people and letting them leave the place thinking that's what God was about. In our church, especially in our community groups and our social settings, we must all be very careful of false gospels breaking in, right? Here's the thing. Satan only comes to churches where Jesus is working, right? If a church is dead and it's a country club, and it's a bunch of people getting together, talking about all these goofy stuff. Satan's like, when his minions are like, forget that place. They're already, they're doing a great job, <laughs> right? Let's go to the place where, that, where somebody, some, some guy's trying to teach people God's word, and let's try and stir that place up. And so that's what's going to happen. So we want to be very careful of that. Think of the gospel as this. Think of the word of God as this as a glorious piece of art. So let's, let's say I, we had this painting that was this, this glorious piece of art, and somebody said, you know, that painting is worth like $100 million. And you think, you get your paintbrush out, and you go, let me just touch it up a little. What did you just do to that painting? You destroyed it. You made it worth nothing. That's what happens with people who try to improve the gospel. Or say, well, God told me this, that it contradicts the gospel. What are they doing? They are ruining it. They are ruining it. All of this must be done in full reliance on the Holy Spirit. See, here's the problem. The flesh wants to be liked and popular more than it wants to be truthful. And you look at Jesus at the end of his ministry. How many people belong to his church? Him. I will grant you some of the women that were there were loyal to him to the end, okay? But is the apostles, the, you know, John was there, but everybody else kind of just ran away. We're seeing the apostle Paul here. We're going to see he's, very, he's all alone there. People, they don't need any part of this guy, right? And so a lot of people are more interested in being liked and popular than they are in the truth. And, you know, thank God most of us will see 
our personal progress, if we continue to follow the Lord, we'll see the progress in others, right? But we should also expect opposition. It's not a matter of if it's coming, it's a matter of when it's coming. In a so-called modern world, continuing the work of the gospel is essential, but it will not be easy. I am convinced that what you're doing right now is the right thing. That right now, if you want to follow Jesus, and I know a lot of the people in our congregation, they listen to the Wednesday on the internet or something like that, and that's fine, that's fine. But I'm convinced that you're doing the right thing because I believe with all of my heart that in this culture that we live in right now, you need to know your Bible better than ever in our lifetime. You really do. Because you're going to have to be in conversations with people and giving them the hope that is within you with gentleness and respect, not bludgeoning them, not bludgeoning them. And so we want to really be people who know our Bible. Even religious people will oppose you. They will, because they think it's because of what they do or they're good people. And to them, a lot of times, Jesus is just useful. But to a true follower of Jesus, Jesus is good. Jesus is beautiful. And Jesus is worth suffering for. Not because that's how you gain his favor, but because he suffered for you, we can suffer for him. As you get into the word of God, the word of God gets into you. It's the message that saves and the grace of God announces it and it is worth the suffering. As you yield your life to God the Holy Spirit, he will provide the strength to persevere until the end, and we'll see some examples of people who did and who did not, Lord willing, next week. Jesus said this, talking about the end of the age, Matthew 24, verse 11 through 14. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Okay, we live in a lawless society. Lawless. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And what does Jesus say? Instead of spurring us on to love and good deeds, as the Apostle Paul said, it's actually going to cause the love of many to grow cold. Do you want that to be you? I know you don't. I don't want it to be me. Verse 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. See, this is the, pers- the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, those who endure to the end. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as witnesses to all the nations, and then the end will come. Loved ones, we have been called to protect and guard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to be clear. We are not the only church that is called to that. I want to be clear Calvary Chapel is not the only movement that has been called to that. But many Christians, many pastors, many churches, many movements, many denominations are defecting the faith in our modern world. And we don't want it to be us. Our role is to study the Bible, to teach the Bible, to exemplify the gospel to other people, to explain the good news to a lost and hurting and gone astray world. Jesus said this, John eleven twenty six, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says this, 
Do you believe this? Do you believe this? The gospel is that God placed us here on this earth to love him and to obey him. And we mucked it up. We messed it up. And so in his great love, he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to live a perfect life in your place and in my place, to die on the cross as punishment, taking the punishment for your sins and my sins. It's the only way we could actually come into the presence of a holy God without our sins and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And to prove God was satisfied with it, Jesus rose from the dead. And today, Jesus calls you, if you've never put your trust in him, again, whether you're here, whether you're in another place in the building, whether you're watching online, whether you're listening on the radio, today, he says, if you will, but turn to God, turn away from your sin, confess your sin to him, and put your trust in Jesus Christ, the risen king promises you the forgiveness of sins and that you shall never die. Thanks for listening to Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to bring you hope, encouragement, and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please pray with us that Changed by Love will make a profound difference in many lives. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Teaming together in prayer is the key to a spiritually rich life. It really does take a team of praying individuals to reach thousands. Thank you for being a part of the Change by Love support team. To find out more ways to team with Change by Love, go to our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you could call 862-217-9686. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.